Because you know what you did? Last week we talked about we're to spur one another to love and good works. And what you told your dad to tell everybody, come to Wana's and keep growing. That's what you just did for all Some, of us. Uh, Some God-given talent. We need to and keep I'm grateful for y'all using That's it. Awesome. That was. I would have come to church today just for that. So much. That was really good. Some of y'all are going. Me too. Would you please hurry up so I can leave? So. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew, if you will. We're going to look at Matthew chapter nine, just a couple of verses. Uh, that is to encourage you. That doesn't mean it's going to be short, but hopefully that encourages you. We're going to look at just a few verses. We're going to talk about what Jesus is doing throughout the Gospels. And uh, many of you have read the Gospels, and you know this. Maybe you're not too familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's just the account of Jesus from four different people's point of view. Uh, some of the Gospels have things that the others do not. And it's just because they were written from a different perspective. The same Holy Spirit inspired, and yet God used four different folks to different audiences. Matthew is written to Jews. Uh, Mark was written to, uh, like, Romans. Luke was written to some Greeks. John was written to all of us. And so it's just different perspectives. But the big thing in the Gospels is it's Jesus taking his followers his 12 disciples, and he is investing time in them. He is pouring his life into them as they are following him so that they can know what to do because here's the deal. Jesus goes back to heaven, and he leaves it with them. Ultimately, he leaves it with every one of us that are followers of Christ, that we are to be his children, his representatives in this world. And so you and I, we're... As we read like the Gospels, it's like this is our playbook. Jesus wants us to see and hear and feel the things that he sees, hears, and feels. And honestly, as a follower of Christ, you kind of know that you are maturing, you're growing, because you begin to realize, hey, I'm, I'm seeing things differently than I used to. I'm seeing people and situations how God sees them, and I'm hearing people. Like, I mean, you, every one of you could probably say, yeah, I, I, I know this is happening, because now you're hearing people when they say things. It just doesn't wash over you, but you hear, like, their heart, and you hear uh, something in their voice, and your heart goes out to them, or you hear things. And so, like this morning, you hear about Ron Scarberry and his father passing away. You, some of you heard that differently than ever before because now your heart goes out to him and you love Ron and you hurt for him because of that. And you want to like send him a message or you want to call him or write him a note or you want to be sure and give your condolences. And the thing is, not only that, but you feel. You feel different than you used to. You have compassion like never before. Your heart breaks for things and so growing as a follower of Christ. In fact, one of the things that you see more and more, especially in this particular passage, because this passage is a real turning point, because Jesus has been very public, but the passages we'll look at today in Matthew 9, he's turning, and he's going to focus more on his disciples, because the time of his crucifixion is coming. He'll resurrect from the dead, who go back to heaven, send the Holy Spirit to empower them. 
and ultimately they will take the gospel around the world. And so at this point, you and I see more and more of this thing. Because Jesus does this. It's like, and many of you know this as you see this, but this is kind of how Jesus did things. He would say to them, listen, I'm going to do this. I want you to watch. And if you know the stories in the Gospels, Jesus would take his disciples and get away, and they would talk about it. They would debrief. They would say, hey, did you know kind of what was going on? Did you kind of get it? And then the next time, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you kind of realize he goes, I do. Now, I'm going to have you help me doing this. And ultimately, for not only Jesus and the disciples, but for every one of us, it is now, it's your turn to do it. And now, I'm going to help you. And thank God, because as the follower of Christ, who lives within you? The Spirit of God. And so, you and I, as followers of Christ, this is you and I. He says, now you do it. And there's no exception. If you are a follower of Christ, you are to do it. It doesn't mean every one of us are going to go on the other side of the world, but it does mean that every one of us as followers of Christ, we will be involved in His mission in the world, in our neighborhood, in our families, in the people we work with. You're going to be doing this. And the thing is, He's going to be helping you. And now debriefing is what? Man, it's praying it's getting with other believers and talking through things like, man, that didn't go so well. Like, could you help me out with that? The guy who discipled me, he took me out and he did this with me. But he didn't kind of like tell me the steps. He didn't say this. But one night, we finally had gotten to a point where he had been kind of helping me know how to share my faith. And we were doing uh, something that's really scary, even to this day for me. And that's just knocking on a stranger's door. And um, when they answer, uh, you just kind of talk with them about your faith. He did not tell me until he knocked on the door and he said, now you do it. And so it scared me to death. Uh, all, all I can remember is I told the person I was from a particular church. I didn't go to church there. It was just the first church I came to my mind like i said hey i go to church here and then i said when you die are you going to go to heaven or hell that's probably not the you know the like knock knock you open your door that's the welcome you get he just slammed the door in my face and i thought yes i did it so we got back into the pickup and he debriefed me and it was like now can you tell me what we did there uh do you see any mistakes i said no man I like, man, I felt bold and like, he, he said like, where did you say you went to church? And I said, and he, he said, no, you didn't say that. Like, you were from wherever. Uh, and then what did you say after that? And I said, I don't know. I, I don't know. I must have done something good because he slammed the door in my face. And I thought that was like persecution. I thought, hey, I'm with one of the martyrs. And like, so we talked about that a long, long time. But here's the deal. As you and I, we're helping other people grow. This is what we are doing. We're helping people. We're coming alongside them. We're saying, hey, listen, now it's like your turn. You do it. I'm going to be there to help you. But like, and that's what Jesus is doing. And so we come to this particular place, if you will, there in Matthew uh, chapter 9. Um, just, just listen to these verses or follow along. 
Starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so back again to, as a follower of Christ, hopefully you are seeing this in your own life. But Jesus wants us to see, hear, and feel what he's feeling. And the deal says, as he sees this crowd of people that are not following him, they're lost. They, they have been taught so many false things that they are so confused about who God is and what God requires, and they're so, like, so confused. And Jesus looks at them, and he has compassion on them. And we've talked about this before. Compassion is, it is your hurt in my heart. Have you ever had that? As a follower of Christ, have you ever had that? Sure you have. And you know what that feels, right? It is like you meet somebody, you're with some people, and you know they're hurt, and they're hurt. And you know it's compassion because it's what? You are feeling it. You're hurt in my heart. And what does that do? It moves you to action. It moves you to do something. And he had this incredible compassion. Why was that? Because he saw these people, and here's two very interesting words, won't belabor them, but they were harassed and they were helpless. You have to think about in this day, there were many teachers, just like today, but they were false teachers. There were many teachers telling them about God and what he expected, and here's what the law said, and yet, um, here's here's not only what the law says, but here's some other things that you need to do as well. And so they added and they heaped on people all kinds of falsehoods that absolutely weren't in the scriptures. Uh, God never said that, but they would heap it on the people. And the people were confused and they were heavy laden. And that's why when Jesus said, come to me, my burden's light. Take my yoke upon you because it's light, it's white. Because the Pharisees, Sadducees, the false teachers of the day, They were heaping on people burdens that they could no way carry. And they were confused about God. And when Jesus saw these people, he realized they had all this false thinking, these false beliefs about God. And Jesus was like, this is nothing like my father. This is nothing like what I want. And that's why he came, to help them, to be able to see that. When you think about helpless and harassed, these people were, just think about, even today, nothing's changed. But I want you to just think about today. People without Christ. And this was you and I at one time. We were not as bad as we could be. Right? You think about it. When you were a person without Christ, you were probably not as bad. Now, I do know some of you, and you were. But anyway, but for the others... You are not as bad as you could be. But here, here's the deal. I hope you hear it. You and I, without Christ, were as bad off as we could ever be. Does that make sense? You might not have been as bad as you could have been, but without Christ, you and I 
And people without Christ are as bad off as they could ever be. So look at this verse. It says, they tie, and this is the false teachers, they tie heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders. Today we'd call that legalism. That's what they called it back then too. It says they lay it on people, but they themselves are not willing to move one of them with a finger. And so they would lay all these false teachings, all these things on them. But what Jesus saw was not only that, and that's what you and I need to see. But hear me, it gets worse. Because people, and before you and I were followers of Christ, this was our condition. So when Jesus saw these people, he saw them not just being harassed by false teachers. He, he saw them as people that Satan had blinded their eyes. In fact, would you read this with me out loud? Maybe this will just like really drive it more home that people without Christ are blinded by Satan. Read this with me. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so the thing is, not only there's false teachings, but Satan has blinded their minds. Do you remember when you were there? Do you remember when you were blinded? Do you remember when Christ opened up the eyes of your heart and you realized your incredible need? In fact, this morning, it might possibly happen to someone in this room that as you're hearing these things, that it's the Spirit of God. It's not song sung or a, a feeling or someone speaking. It's the Spirit of God that just opens up the eyes of your heart and like you realize that I've been blind. And it is the grace of God that is opening up your heart to realize uh, that you're lost and that your need for Jesus, no one else, nothing else, but your, your need for Jesus in your life, that's what it, and here's the deal, that's God at work in your life, opening up your heart. And if that's happening, man, don't resist it. Don't resist it. Just say, yeah, yes, God, yes, and go for it. I want you to think, there are religions in our world today, and I, I just want you to hear some of them won't name their names, but religions in the world that tell people that they must suffer in this life so that they can gain a better position in their next life, which to them means to be reincarnated. And so people in other places of the world, even in the United States, they believe they have to suffer horrendous things hoping that their suffering will gain them a better existing existence when they come back as somebody else or something else. But listen to how harsh it is. The people around them that maybe are doing okay, if they see someone beggarly in need, sick, dying of starvation, sore, sick, everything, and they have the opportunity to help them, they will not help them because they believe that person must suffer. And if I help them, I will like negate like what they will come back as. And so the people suffering and the people who could help believe these things that like, hey, I don't need to do anything. Uh, that's their deal. They're going to come back. And here's the, here's the sad thing. I don't know if you've ever realized this. 
In fact, if you're a follower of Christ, you might even fit in this category. There are some followers of Christ that do not believe that they have security in Christ. As a follower of Christ, that is the worst feeling you could ever feel. I've been there. After I began to follow Christ, I had this sense, did I do it right? Did it really happen? Did it stick? Uh, Did I say the right words? Was my prayer sincere enough? All these things. And so I would go through this doubt, like, man, if I died right now, I'm not for sure where I'd go. And yet the deal is the Bible tells you and I that you and I can know for sure. In fact, the whole letter of 1 John was written so that you could have assurance of your salvation as a true follower of Christ. In fact, the key verse in this letter of 1 John is this verse. Chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things, John says to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, not that you would hope so, or that you would doubt and you would wonder, but that you could know that you have eternal life. And I don't know if you realize this. There is no other, and I don't say that Christianity is a religion, but because it, it's a relationship with Jesus. But every other religion in the world has no security. No security. Like you don't know. Like you follow these teachings, and yet you're not going to know until you die, and you wake up, and you might be in paradise. You might be wherever that place is. You might be, or you might not be. It's just a guessing game. What a horrible existence. And what a wonderful thing for a fall of Christ that you and I can actually know for certain, know for sure. Man, I mean, what would give you more confidence to walk into any situation of knowing that everything is secure with me and God? I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly what's going to happen at the end. I, I don't have to worry about this. And so if that's you, listen, you don't have to doubt and wonder and worry anymore. You can know, you can know if you have eternal salvation. But no other place does. And then just one more and we'll move forward. Every other religion in the world has a do. You must do this. You must do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. My cousin Mac, just real keep it short, he was in intensive care. He never left the bed. He he was all busted up and broken up and diseased, and he was dying right there. And as I shared my faith with him, the gospel, for several days, just day after day after day, I was praying this prayer about that, God, you would open up his eyes. And then one day, as I went to visit with him, he just said this, listen, I believe all that stuff, but I can't do anything. What he was talking about, he couldn't get up out of that bed. He couldn't go do something. He thought maybe he had to go and be dunked in that water. That does not add one thing to your salvation. That, this morning, was casing, given witness, what? That, man, I'm a changed young man, and I'm not ashamed to be a follower of Christ. And I do this before you, what? To add to his salvation? No. What? To be a witness that, hey, I'm not ashamed. I'm a follower of Christ, and this is my 
outward testimony of what's happened inside of me. And so my cousin Mac thought he had to go do something. And then I kind of did a little shock treatment on my cousin. That's, that's not good to a guy in intensive care. But I said, Mac, you're exactly right. You can't do anything. And this, like, horror came over his face. Because you can't do anything. You know why, Mac? Because it's already been done. It's already been done. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, spotless Lamb of God, died in your place, died your death that you could not die. He lived a perfect life that you could not live. He satisfied God's wrath only how he could, God's way, none of your ways. The thing is, Mac, it's already been done. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Do you follow that? And Mac did. And Mac died a week later. And Mac did some horrific things. And one day, I'll stand with him in heaven. I have to be honest. I didn't think that was too fair. Mac was a Satanist, worshipped the devil, did some things. I just thought, wow. When I left that day, I was rejoicing at the same time going like, man, it's really not fair. You know what God said? Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's not fair you get to either. Or anybody does. It's not built on fair. It's built on what? Grace of God towards you and I. And so here's the deal I just like to call your attention to. In verse 37, And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plenty. You and I have heard this more than probably ever than anything. We've heard this. You know, the harvest is plenty, but the labors, they're few. And this is where you pull out all the sad stories and you really try to get people to get involved. And you've been there. I've been there. I've heard it. I've done it. And not many results come from it. That way of doing it. Begging people to be involved, do something, sign up. Honestly, it doesn't work. Uh, honestly... Big announcements from here, they really don't do a lot. And you're like, well, why do you do it? Well, you know, it's one of those things we just do. It. But they don't do a lot. But I want to tell you what does do the best. Continues on, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I just have a couple points, and I'm going to be quick. So hear them. We pray, you and I, Jesus said, you and I are to pray, and we're to ask God for certain things. And here's one of them. You and I are to pray because people outside of Christ, what are they? We've already said it. They're blinded by Satan. You cannot, you cannot say enough words. You cannot be tearful enough. You cannot be harsh enough. You can't be anything to persuade someone to come to Christ. I could stand up here, I could scream and holler, and I could sweat blood and all that, and it would probably not move any person, ever. It will be the Spirit of God who opens up a person's heart. We've read it before, but listen to this verse once again. In their case, the God of this world, that is Satan, 
God's arch enemy, your arch enemy, every person without Christ's arch enemy has blinded the minds of people that do not follow Christ. They're blinded. He has blinded them from the glory of Jesus Christ. They're absolutely blinded. So why do you and I pray? We pray that God will do what? He will do an incredible work in people's lives. People's lives you don't even know. People's lives that you do know and you're praying for and you ache for them because they're part of your family or they're your neighbor. You work with them and your heart just aches for them. And what is the most incredible and the best thing you and I could do is what? Yeah, yes, be loving. Yes, be kind. Yes, share the gospel. But hear me. Do you, do I, with as much earnest in our hearts, do we pray? And do we ask God to open up their hearts? In fact, there's a quote, if you'll look at it. I think it's on the left on your notes. It says, The reason the Father gives His disciples the instrument of prayer is because Jesus has given us a mission. Prayer is designed to extend the kingdom into the fruitless enemy territory. Another quote, if you just look at it, prayer is the ultimate act of partnership with God. You come to God and you realize, you confess it to Him. God, I can't change this person's life. But they're without Christ. Unless you open up their hearts, they will not come to Christ. They will not. But then here's the second one. We pray because there have always been and I guess there probably always will be few laborers. There will be few. There will be few of us. I mean, this is a wonderful crowd. But when you think of the world, this is just a few of us. There's only few. And so God says, Jesus says, hey, here's what you're to do. You're to pray to my Father that he will send people out. And I think this probably for me, of 39 years of ministry, I wish I would have believed this. I wish I would have known this. I wish I would have acted on this more in the first 38 years of my ministry than I believe I am trying to now. And it's this. The number of labors can only be increased by God's provision and power. Listen, I have begged people. I have tried to persuade people. I've told them the good and the bad and the ugly. I've done all kinds of things to persuade people to like get involved, to do this or that over the years. And it has been one of the most futile things I've ever done in my life. And yet when Jesus was very clear, talk to my father, ask him to send laborers. Now here's the deal. Why? Do you know this? If you are involved in any way in ministry, in people's lives, in your family, in your neighbors, you know this. It's difficult at times. You get fearful at times. You get tired at times. You get, like, uh, moody at times. Hey, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like it today. I mean, all these things are coming at us. And just, like, hearing numbers and hearing all kinds of deals, it just won't do it. But you know this. It's when the Spirit of God just works in your heart that you get in there and you do it. Because here's the deal. The, the few workers, the few laborers 
are going to be the ones that what? Are empowered by the Spirit of God. They are leaning on God. They can go through difficult times because every one of us is going to test that are followers of Christ. It is difficult. It's probably not as difficult as on the other side of the world. But it is still difficult to live and to share your faith and to act kindly to people who are rude and mean to you and all this and to give your life and to maybe give and give and give and nobody gives back. I mean, that's what Christians do. And how do you keep doing that? It's because what God has done, an incredible work in your life, and you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm not looking for those other things, man. God has done a work in my life, and I'm doing, we're praying that God would do that in people's lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul, hardcore Apostle Paul, you know what he did? He asked people to pray for him. And here's what he said, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints that don't miss this, and also for me. I mean, the Apostle Paul, the guy who is like the ultimate Christian, I guess. I don't know. We get to heaven, Paul will probably be way back in the back with us. People we don't even know, they'll be way up front. Well, who's that? We don't know who those people are. God knew who they were, you know. But Paul goes, listen, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. He is asking, pray for me that I'll be bold. You read his letters in the New Testament. Was he bold? Yeah. How was he? I guess it was because people were praying for him. That he'd be bold. And he says, pray that I'd be bold to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so why do we pray for people, for laborers, to go out into the mission field and into ministry, into your work, your neighborhood? Why? Because we need God to do that incredible work in our hearts. In fact, I'll just, I just give you just a few. Many of you know this. Maybe some don't. I'll give you a, a, a little example of something that I, I've just seen recently, and it really, um, I rejoice, and it boggles my mind. So there's a ministry here at Heritage. It's called Novo. And Novo is at a particular uh, apartment complex in our community, and it is uh, it was every Thursday night, and then because of the few laborers, it became every other Thursday night. And it's been going on about 11 years here at Heritage. And there's uh, about two people that have stuck with it for 11 years and with no help. And all I know, and this sounds bad. I don't mean it bad about who these people are. But all I know is they got serious about asking God to send 11 people from Heritage are now involved in Novo. Of you 11, you know it is difficult. It is difficult. Sometimes it is outright discouraging. I mean, I keep a resume in my back pocket all the time. Tomorrow morning, I'll turn it in, and uh, that's a joke for many of y'all. You're all like right over your head. I, I mean, it can be discouraging. It's like, God, is anything happening? Is anything, are you doing anything? Am I wasting my time here? And yet now, 11 people, that's just because 
God sent particular people. I don't know if you know about much missionary stories, missionaries back in the day, when they had to go overseas, how they took their belongings is they took them in a self-made coffin. I don't know if you knew that. But they didn't have luggage back then. So what you did is you built a box that you could fit in because very well you'll be buried in it as a missionary. And so when you left the port, and sometimes you left your family, sometimes your family went with you, you had all your belongings and clothes in a coffin because oftentimes they never made it to the land they were going. Oftentimes children and spouses would die on the ship right there, and they would use the luggage, the coffin, to bury their loved one. Often they never made it. William Carey, some of you all might know who this is, uh, you might not. I would encourage you uh, to read like his uh, a book about his life. He was the first guy to ever go to India. And when he went, his church did not support him. They said, hey, listen, if they're to be saved, somebody else will do it. Let somebody else do it. Why are you going to do it? But he had a few people that they had this phrase. They said, we will hold the rope as you go. And what they meant is they would hold the rope in prayer for William Carey as he went to take the gospel. And so he had a few people to go with him. Uh, just talking about children's ministry, this is a guy named David Livingston. Uh, he's the guy that went to Africa and just opened up Africa for the gospel. But a little known story is um, um, there was a, a church and uh, not much had happened in this church in fact the congregation was dwindling and the pastor who had been there for years finally said listen i'm done i can't take the discouragement anymore nothing has ever happened here god's not moved he's never done anything and that's how we get sometimes like oh god's never done anything and yet he had a person go oh hold, hold it pastor don't you remember little davy a little davy a little Davy. yeah a little davy a few years ago he uh, came to know Jesus here. Oh, yeah, little Davy Livingston. Casey. Who knows? Who knows any of what God might do in your life? David Livingston had been five years into Africa. He had been attacked by a tiger. He was scarred and tore all to pieces, crippled from it. He was so sunburnt that his uh, skin looked like leather. And after just about five years, his wife finally came to Africa to see him. She didn't even know who he was because he was so scarred and so disfigured from the hardship of taking the gospel somewhere else in the world. Probably one of the things that I do every year in January is I read a book called through the Gates of Splendor. It's about the guy in the middle, Jim Elliott, but he had four other friends. If you don't know the story, I encourage you to read it, that Jim Elliott, who was 28 years old when he was martyred, along with his four friends, took the gospel to a tribe of Indians in the Amazon, and what did they do? They killed him. They killed him. They never got to share the gospel. And what's interesting they had guns with them. 
and they were they were asked before all this happened you know you're taking guns and it's going to be dangerous will you use the guns to defend yourself and they said no we're going so those people will have life and we will not use them on them and they died with their arms right by them they gave their lives Jim Elliot's wife went to the very tribe that killed her husband shared the gospel many 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 of that tribe came to Christ because of that very thing numbers don't change us but I think sometimes just inside of a room sometimes we don't think of the outside so I end with this so that's my subtle way to say to CJ start coming right real subtle but again numbers don't change but I think for a person whose heart is towards what God would have them I think numbers sometimes can help because whether you can even fathom I can't fathom it but about four and a half billion people in the world do not know Christ uh, two billion of these four and a half million they are in seven thousand hundred and fifty one people groups without any witness without any gospel without any missionary going without any support there's no church there's no Christian there's no Bible there's nothing there for these people so you go like wow like with such a heavy thing like that what do you do what Jesus say you pray are you and I at least praying for them 26,000 children die every day of malnutrition preventable diseases estimated 250,000 and some of you this has never even entered your mind that there are child soldiers in other countries so there's not enough young men or young men women to do that and so they're child soldiers so what a, a quarter of a million children and you go like wow where'd you hear that at well here's one thing I didn't hear it I met one and this is Jack and Jack was kidnapped from his family and had become a child soldier. In other words, you're given a gun, and whoever's over you, you go, we're going to this village, and you kill everybody you see. And Jack ran away. He found a missionary couple. Jack became a believer. Jack showed me a brand on his arm right here because when he was kidnapped, they took and branded him with their sigma you're one of ours and so Jack was one of those who God rescued 40.3 million slaves in the world still against their will slaves to do hideous and horrific things not just to themselves but to other people Three billion people in the world today will try to live on less than two dollars today. I mean, they'll try to survive, like food and whatever. They'll just try to survive. 
And so I, I close with this, and I just hope this will etch into your mind. Here's a way that you and I can get outside the walls and see like a vast deal of the world. And I encourage you, in fact, if you didn't see that, you can Google this, you can get on your computer, you can have this on your phone as an app. It's called the Joshua Project. And I would encourage you, because of the 7,000 people groups in the world without Christ, every morning when you open this app, a people group will come up. And this week, this was, I think, Wednesday when I put this together. This was where uh, these people are in Sudan. There's about 612,000 of them. They're Islam. They're, the world map, uh, they kind of give you a location. You can kind of get an idea. And then it kind of gives some things that if you're real careful to pay attention to, you realize uh, they have the New Testament. They don't have any of the old. They have some of the New Testament. For most of these people, they can't read. And so having a Bible is good, but they can't read it. So they need someone to read it to them. And if you see the Jesus film, it says, yes, that's a good thing. The Jesus film is translated in more languages than any other gospel presentation there is. And so at least they could see a film if it was allowed to be there. But yet I know people who have taken the Jesus film to places and they are dead today because they took the Jesus film to let them see it. And they were martyred because of it. And so they, they have the Jesus film. Audio recordings, if they somehow have a computer or a radio or something, there is a possibility if somehow it can get into their territory, they can hear the gospel. And like, how can I be a part? Jesus said that you and I are to pray that God would open their eyes and that he would send people. So this morning, my encouragement to you as followers of Christ that we would be more serious about praying for people we've never seen before but maybe through technology we can get some grasp of people and places in the world and then you know what has happened to me I read these and I look at these around the world and I can't pray without thinking of my next door neighbors And that's how God does it, right? And so sometimes, and I end with this, I'll hear it from my heart because I've experienced this. Sometimes we pray because we don't think prayer works. Sometimes we pray because we know it'll work. We know it will work. And it might be that God wants me to be the person to step into it. I have to be honest. I have not prayed before because I knew God would say, well, how about you? So I can't use the excuse of I don't pray because I don't think God does anything. There are times I don't pray because I know he will. Thank God. He will do this. If you and I pray, he said he would send. Would you pray with me? God, these moments, there might be someone here. They, 
have not known you, and yet your spirit has opened up their heart to you. I pray they'd say yes to you. I pray they would talk to the person who brought them or they're sitting next to or afterwards come and talk with myself. And Lord, that you've opened up their hearts to you. If you've done that, I believe you have, and you've done that, I believe, around the world, even this day, with people saying yes. Maybe you've used this witness of Kaysen being baptized to be the spark in someone's life of obedience to you. God, I pray that you'd help us to be serious about what you said. You said, pray to my Father that he will send God, that's what we pray. Help us to become more and more serious about praying because we hope that you'll do it, but we are confident you will do what you said and that we will pray because we're confident in what your word says. We trust that your spirit will move even today in this group of people's life I don't know I'll probably never see these people in this life but God would you send would you do something send somebody I pray that you'd help all of our hearts God to be moved with compassion for people with that Christ God, would you give us a glimpse of maybe some of it? If not, I pray you help us to believe that you do what you say you will do. And God, our benediction this morning is just our response back to you. What a great, awesome, holy God you are. And it's our saying, yes, Lord, use me do a great work in the world somehow use me in some way that's the thing.